0: Alright, alright. I'm gonna try and stop laughing to get through today's edition of the Upper Bull GM Podcast, but oh man, Victor Hedman's really gonna win the Norris Trophy, and he's, he blew game six. Uh, I don't know how you're that at a position where you're reaching on Bavillier like that. Oh, and yeah, I'm Nick Rars, I'm the host, yeah, like always, you know, all that jazz. I'm still giggling to myself, man. The Boomer hockey writers who get to vote for these awards are just on another planet. Hedman... Heidman wasn't even the best defenseman on his own team for the last month and a half of the season. He played so poorly down the stretch for the Lightning. And, man, that was some hockey game. I, I know a lot of people will kind of bemoan the Islander style of hockey. And, yes, as a hockey nerd, my opinion going to be a little bit different than the casual hockey fan or someone who doesn't. Who isn't able to look past their own inherent interests when they watch hockey. A lot of people, when they want to watch hockey, they want to see up and down action. They want to see the kind of hockey that, say, the Hurricanes play, that the Maple Leafs play, the Avalanche play, the Oilers play. But as a nerd, I have grown an appreciation for the Islanders mucking it up and... Make no bones about it. They deserve to win Game 6. They outplayed Tampa Bay. And yes, Nikita Kucherov leaving his first shift of the game is a real thing. That is a real storyline, and that is a real reason why the Islanders were able to persevere in this game. And let's give credit where credit's due. The Islanders were down 2-0 and looked pretty much dead in the water. Uh, uh, There's no other way to say it. They looked dead in the water after the Sorelli goal in that second period. They looked dead in the water. They were not getting any scoring chances through. The Lightning were locking it down defensively, even though they weren't creating a ton of offense themselves. All of those scoring chances that got blocked, they're just shot into people's shin pads for the first, I'd say, 35 minutes, 40 minutes of the hockey game. The Lightning played well. The Islanders found a way, and that is one of the signs of a truly quality hockey team is being able to persevere, even when shit looks grim. I'll be honest with you, at 2 nothing, Lightning, I was sitting there having a little bit of PTSD from sitting at the Garden for Game 5 and Game 7 of the 2015 Conference Finals against the Lightning, where they just suffocated me to death. I felt like I was watching the Rangers skate through quicksand, and no matter what the Rangers were doing, they couldn't get pucks down low because they were clogging the middle so well. They weren't able to get shots from the point because the shooting lanes were blocked and the shots were being blocked and going the other way. The Islanders found a way. In that third period... I really wasn't sure if they were going to be able to tie it up, especially after they botched that one power play opportunity they had where it took them, you know, a minute and a half to get into the offensive zone. And that was the second power play unit that was finally established, able to establish control in the offensive zone. It wasn't pretty. And the Islanders did not play a perfect hockey game by any means the lightning probably could have scored at least one more goal based on how they played but you know sometimes that's just how things shake out but before i get to the meat and potatoes of today's episode i do have to remind everyone to help support the show whatever means possible whatever podcasting platform you prefer the show is available it is on apple podcast spotify google play stitcher All of the major podcasting platforms that I can host the podcast on for free, this podcast is there. If you are on Apple Podcasts, you have an added responsibility because Apple Podcasts is so ubiquitous, they have a separate thing. Please, go to the shows page, scroll to the bottom. There are going to be five clear purple stars. You gotta hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a button with purple letters that says Writer Review. If you have a minute, please leave a few words. Support your content creators. We work really hard. We really do appreciate feedback. Blog went up on Wednesday, part two. Part one, I broke down the Islanders and Lightning rosters. Part two, I broke down the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights rosters. The contracts, where they got these players, whether they were drafted, free agents, um, expansion draft, undrafted free agents, trades, How money is spent in terms of where it goes in their lineup, whether they're offense-heavy, defense-heavy, they invest more in their goaltender, who their most expensive contracts are, the best value contracts, and if the team makes sense the way it's constructed. Really, really detailed stuff if you want to get a better understanding of how these teams were put together and what I think their vision for their team was. I got you covered on the blog, at on Twitter, Gotham Sports Network, the full web address. Please check out and support the blog. A lot of quality content creators hustling, trying to put out quality content for you guys to enjoy, get a little bit smarter, and maybe laugh a little bit along the way. All of that said, I will see you guys in one second, and we're going to talk about that Islanders win. Giancarina going after it. He'll play it off for Hedman, tipped around, but it is cut off by Bailey. And now turned over. Bevelier, overtime winner, we're going to Tampa for game seven man what a hockey game every now and then you, it kind of hits you in the moment during the course of the game and when Mayfield scored that goal it's about eight and a half minutes to go in the third period it kind of sunk in just what an insane hockey game it had been i mean like i said during the introduction i thought the islanders were more or less dead at 2 nothing, especially considering how game five went where the islanders got down about 2 nothing, and you know game was more or less over at 2 nothing in tampa in game five because they just had no juice and that's the thing about the islanders and about the canadians during this playoff run you can tell in the first five minutes of the game if that team is going to be able to be competitive that particular night because they have their legs or not. And when I say have their legs, I mean they're active. They're in the offensive zone. They are forechecking the defensemen. They are making their exits more difficult. They are in the neutral zone, slowing down the other team's rush opportunities. They're getting the puck out of their own zone with pace. They are throwing checks. They're noticeable. This is one of those things that I know I critique people on broadcast a lot for pointing out people throwing hits and skating and getting momentum and that kind of thing but it's For teams like the Islanders and Montreal that are so regimentally structured, if you don't have your legs, you can't play that highly regimented, structured style of hockey that they need to be able to play to win. In Game 5, the Islanders had no structure. The Lightning were just going up and down the ice like it was NHL 20, EA Sports' NHL franchise, no defense being played whatsoever, odd man rushes, goaltender not even having a chance. Tonight, you could tell... The Islanders were going to be in it, and I know I've made a lot about the Islanders' resiliency, their culture, and their identity, but I can't stress enough how well coached they are and how impressed I was their ability to weather the storm. I just, at 2 nothing down, you feel like the game is over, especially considering how the last game went. Sorelli scores that goal, and you think to yourself, all right, the Islanders got to get one here to keep this close. Because if Tampa scores a third one, you're not putting four past Vasilevsky in 30-ish minutes of game time. You're just not doing it. So you need to think about it in terms of time you have left. You're always trying to chip away, and even if you're not scoring, you got to be getting towards that. You got to be grinding it out. You got to get the puck below the goal line. You have to put pressure on the defenseman, make them turn it over, or make them make a difficult play. And if they try and make that difficult pass to someone who's up the ice, you have a chance to intercept it. You have a chance to throw a check while they're sending that pass up the ice to alter the direction of the pass. All of that stuff accumulates over time, and it's why you need to have your legs if you are the Islanders to play their game. Now, Jordan Eberle's goal, ugly one. Absolute ugly one. No way with it. Comes Barzell, hands it off. Here's Evrard, scores. Jordan he gets the goal. Islanders on the board. That goal only happens because David Savard is blinding Vasiljevski. Vasiljevski is getting screened by his own defenseman. He does not have a sight line to the puck, and. It beats him. It's an ugly scoring chance. It's a backhand scoring chance. Hang on. Let me look. Uh, hang on. Hang on. Hang. That Jordan Eberle backhand that resulted in a goal had a 5% chance of going in based on where it was taken from and the type of scoring chance it was according to evolving wild expected goals models. You are not expecting that scoring opportunity to result in a goal, especially because it's a backhand. Say that's a regular forehand, this a, a wrist shot, a snapshot from that area, a little bit more dangerous because you know it is a decent area. It's between the circles. It's relatively within that high danger area of the ice, but because Vasilevsky never saw it, Everly was Everly got lucky. There's nothing you can do, and sometimes you need that little bit of luck. I talked about this the other day when we were talking about the Montreal and the Vegas series. If you get the puck to dangerous areas enough times, good things will happen. And to be fair to the Lightning, they had done a really good job defensively up until that point of not conceding anything in that dangerous area. And not conceding scoring chances, let alone goals. For the first 30-ish, 35 minutes of this game, the Lightning were playing perfect defense like they had played previously in the series where the light islanders got out islandered where there was just no room the lightning were keeping the islanders to the perimeter forcing them to settle for those point shots by their defensemen and well i do think the ryan pulak slap shot has some value he's got a great shot letty's an okay shooter for a defenseman Pellick, eh, you don't really want Pellick. You don't really want Dobson. You don't want, really want Andy Green taking shots from the point because those aren't dangerous chances. And against a goalie like Vasilevsky, you got to get the puck down low. you got to get it to the areas where if you outwork the other guy, you're going to have an opportunity to make a play. And when Mayfield scores that goal with eight and 8.40 to go in the third period, I kind of felt, I felt the energies change and I really did feel like the Islanders had sucked the life out of the lightning and they stole it. They outright stole the energy because for the first two periods, I would say the lightning were in reasonable shape. They were winning to nothing, even though they got out chanced in the first and second period. Islanders score in the second, it's two to one going into that third period. You get the Mayfield goal and then Jordan Everly for Matt Barzell. Try to throw that one around. It comes back to Pelicans. Barzell on it again. To Mayfield. He takes the scores. Mayfield ties it. You get some bedlam. And you've got to give credit where credit is due. That Mayfield scoring chance. Is a absolute ripper. I mean, I'm looking at it right now on Evolving Wild. They have it at a 14% chance of resulting in a goal based on their model. That was an absolutely perfect shot. On the NBC feed, Brian Boucher made a point of pointing out Vasilevsky was in pretty good position, and the tiny window Mayfield squeezed that puck in over Vasilevsky's shoulder It was an absolutely perfect shot, and it's what he needed to beat Vasilevsky in that situation. You don't think of Mayfield of being that type of guy who could get the puck into that tight window and make a high percentage, make a medium percentage shot. I mean, 10% for an individual scoring chance is pretty good. I mean, in a typical game, most guys, most high-end players will finish with an individual expected goals around .5, .6. So to get .14 on a single scoring chance... You get four scoring chances in a game of reasonable value. You get around .5. So, and that's not including power play, which is a little bit different, and expected goals are a little bit different on power play, but that's besides the point. But Mayfield create created a quality chance. He got to a good area. And at that point, you felt like the Islanders were ready. And in that third period, the unblocked scoring chances, 10 for the Islanders, chasing the one-goal game, Four unblocked scoring chances for the Lightning. And before I continue, I would be remiss if I do not tell you guys the stat I found during the course of the game. I looked it up during one of the intermissions, and I felt like it was worth sharing on Twitter, at Nick Zeraris, if you're not already following me, you should be. I tweet shit like this all the time during games. Of the four teams remaining in the playoffs before tonight's game, the Islanders, when they are down one goal at 5-on-5, five five, they score the next goal 71% of the time. And playing from behind is not particularly easy. It's very difficult in hockey, especially in the playoffs when teams are get allowed to get away with murder, which I haven't talked about the officiating yet, but that's definitely a subplot within this game that, played out, and you really saw it at the end of the second period, where Mayfield cross-checked Stamkos. Stamkos mashed his face into the glass, got a cut on his face, and there were a few scrums. The officials were talking to a few of the veteran guys. McDonough was in there, Clutterbuck was in there, Pat Maroon was there, I think Matt Martin was there, and he was talking to them and trying to bring down the temperature, if you will. But I I don't want to get to the officiating yet, because there's still a little bit more of the game to unpack. Because in that third period, you firmly felt the islanders getting control they're getting the puck in deep they're working hard and it was really really compelling how the game turned on its head because like i was talking about before in the first period especially the islanders were forced to the perimeter they were only taking point shots shots from the circles they're not really getting anything in vasilevsky They're not making him work particularly hard. They're not making the Lightning work particularly hard. And, you know, that's what the Islanders usually do to other teams. Then in the second period, they ratchet up the difficulty a little bit. They get their one goal. They're still not really getting the puck to great areas. But, you know, they're controlling the puck more. They're having it in the Tampa Bay zone. Even if they're not creating offense, they're controlling it. Second period, the only period in the game, the Lightning outchance the Islanders. 12 unblocked chances to 10 for the Islanders. But you feel it starting to open up. The Islanders have a little bit more room. They're getting the puck lower down the ice towards that goal line. Then in the third period, you really felt the game turn on its head where the Islanders are getting the puck to those dangerous areas and the Lightning are now the team that's being forced to the outside that's not getting as many quality chances and not getting the puck where they need to. And I haven't even mentioned the fact that Nikita Kucherov had to leave the game his first shift aside from in the introduction. And you knew it was going to be a problem. And for about 35-ish minutes, I didn't feel like it was that much of a problem for the Lightning, to be completely honest with you. The problem really came with the lines that got thrown together because of the injuries. In particular... I will say Steven Stamkos was noticeable out there. He made a few plays, especially early on in the game. But at 5-on-5, five five, him, Kalorn, and Yanni Gord, 7 minutes of ice time. Barely treading water, 8 chances for, 9 against. Expect, they won the expected goals battle, a little bit more quality. But what really surprised me is the difficult time, the fabled Goudreau... Coleman and Yanni Gord line had. In six minutes of ice time, 34% expected goal share. Who was that line matched up against, you ask? Matt Barzell, Leo Komarov, and Jordan Eberly had the game of their damn lives. I know Komarov is kind of just wasting space out there and just throwing hits and not really giving you anything offensively, but Matt Barzell was just absolutely phenomenal tonight. Absolutely incredible. I really could not have been more impressed with Barzell's game, and I say that as someone who was a little bit frustrated with, with barzell's game earlier in the playoffs where he wasn't really doing a whole lot in the offensive zone in terms of chance creation and he wasn't really setting up uh eberly because you know he can't really set up leo i mean individual expected goals checking in somewhere in the ballpark of 0.17 to 0.28 depending which model you look at on three scoring opportunities so you know Pretty good stuff from Barzell, and I forget who I saw tweeted it, and I'm not exactly positive what expected goals model they were looking at, but Barzell has had a really, really nice playoff run here, especially down the road as it's gotten later in the playoffs here. I mean, Josh Garrick at Garrick 16. Matt Barzell leads all players in the playoffs in individual expected goals at 5-on-5, and it's really... Really been compelling, is the word I'll use. As a Ranger fan, it annoys me that the Islanders are a game within going to the Stanley Cup final. I would like the Islanders to suck, to be completely honest with you. But I, at the end of the day, as a sports media person, I have to be able to give credit where it is due and acknowledge quality when I see it. And It's not easy to separate the fan in you from the analyst in you, but what the Islanders have done here is one of the great hockey stories of recent memory. I mean, this is a team without its captain and probably second-best player in Anders Lee. Torres ACL has no... If Anders Lee plays in the Stanley Cup final less than, you know, three months after tearing an ACL, he's a lunatic, but for... A small market, and yes, I say small market, even though the Islanders are New York, because they're a Long Island's team. They are Long Island's. It's the Islanders and Billy Joel. That's all Long Island's got for And the Long Island Railroad, if you want to give them that, but... That's really the only bastions of civic pride the Islanders have. You want to talk about, like, Steve Ballone and, like, stealing money and, like, the New York Assembly? The, Long Island doesn't have a ton to be proud of, and the Islanders haven't always loved them back. They have dicked them around quite a bit over the years, whether you talk about the John Spano stuff in the 90s or uh, the Islanders going to Brooklyn without really consulting their season ticket holder base and then falling to dead last in the league and ticket sales. Attendance. The Islanders dicked their fans around for a long time, and it is good for hockey when these smaller teams like the Islanders are competitive like this. It encourages other teams in smaller markets, whether you talk about a Columbus, a Florida Panthers, a Carolina Hurricanes, Arizona Coyotes, what have you, to go for it because any team can be competitive in any market if it takes the right steps. The Islanders have drafted extremely well, and they've built a culture their players want to be a part of. When guys get to Long Island, they stay there. The two times I've had Ethan, my boss at Gotham, if you're listening, Ethan, thank you for the job. Ethan, he, he and I have always circled back to the guys who get what being an Islander is about stay. You talk about guys who have been here since they were drafted, the guys like an Anders Lee, like a Brock Nelson, a Josh Bailey, a Ryan Pulak, guys who've been here a while, get to that unrestricted free agent contract, and then they sign a long-term extension because they felt something was different. They felt that these weren't the, you know, the Jack Capuano, same old Islanders who maybe you get into the playoffs and then you lose in the first round of Pittsburgh like they did under Capuano. Or, you know, maybe you get a lucky opponent because you won one of the wild cards like the year they played Florida in the first round. And then they got to tackle Vincent Trocek at the end of the third period and force overtime. And then Tavares scored a goal and won in overtime. But the Islanders deserve credit. And, yes... Like I said at the end of the podcast yesterday, talking about the Canadians, and like I said in the blog I wrote today, just because they've won these games does not mean their decision-making has always been the most sound. I still don't understand how Lou won General Manager of the Year for a second year in a row, considering he traded Devontae's for two second round picks. And Devontae's was one of the, you know, 15 best left handed defensemen in the entire league this year. And Lou only got two seconds. And he had to do that because he signed Matt Martin, Leo Komarov, Ross Johnston. You know, that's the money right there for a Devontae's bridge contract, those three guys. Yes, Matt Martin plays a valuable role, but. You could get that guy for a cheap—you can get a fourth-line wing who can check for less than $1.5 million. And that's no disrespect. Matt Martin is—he's not a great possession player, and he's more intangibles than tangibles, and he's the kind of player I don't want the Rangers to sign this offseason because they need fourth-line guys who can actually, you know, play the puck as opposed to just bang in the direction of the puck. That's where Casey Zizekas comes in. But I'll talk to you about the Rangers offseason later. Like I've been saying and backhandedly insulting the Islanders during the last two minutes here, I have to give credit where credit is due. Not a lot of teams would have been able to come back from 2 nothing down against the defending Stanley Cup champions. I mean, of the three teams that Tampa Bay has played this far, the Islanders have given them the most fits. Yes, Florida played them pretty damn well in a couple of those games in their first-round series, but you never felt like the Panthers were going to win that series, I really do feel like the Islanders have kind of, I don't want to say they found the weakness in Tampa Bay because, you know, Tampa Bay beat the shit out of them like 48 hours ago and hockey's weird like that, but they know what they need to do. And if they do it, they can absolutely beat the Lightning. And what you saw from them tonight, I mean, I'm looking back down at my notes here. The first thing I wrote down was the Islanders have their legs today. And if you are going to rely on effort, energy, and grinding your game out to the point you make the other team wilt and you have enough pressure that you're pressuring them offensively, you gotta have your legs. And the Islanders from the jump tonight, even though they were down two nothing at one point, they never looked out of it because they were still competing. They were still plugging away and they were making effort plays. Those effort plays are hard to quantify. You can look at puck retrievals. You can look at hits. That kind of thing. And yes, those are informative, but if you're not watching the game, you can't directly understand what I'm talking about. And yes, I'm doing the, do you even watch the games, bro, to a guy who loves advanced stats and has, you know, five different stats websites open on his computer while he's recording this to reference. But the Islanders had their legs. Number two. The next thing I wrote down The neutral zone is available, and when I wrote that, I meant it for the Islanders, because in Game 5, the neutral zone was available for the Lightning. The Lightning were turning that game into a track meet, and the Islanders can't win a track meet. They have okay team speed in their lineup, but they're not a fast team. They don't want to be playing a lot of transition as far as defense. Offensively, the Islanders can play okay at a high pace because they have a few wingers who are pretty quick. Barzell is maybe the single most dynamic skater in the league that isn't Connor McDavid. Where, you know, when the Islanders are on the power play, their zone entries are to swing the puck to Barzell. And he just skates around people to gain the offensive zone. That's how good Matt Barzal is at gaining the offensive zone, that he is the designed zone entry for the Islander power play. Very, very impressive stuff. But when the Islanders have their legs, they have their energy, they're able to play that kinetic pace, they can start to dictate the game. And even at down to nothing, I said to myself, if they get one here going into the third, they got a good chance. As someone who is at... Game six in that first round series against Pittsburgh. The Penguins scored first in that game. The Islanders ended up blowing them out, winning I think six to four, six to three, whatever it was. The Islanders don't quit. Yeah, they did kinda quit in game five, but that's a little bit different. They got they just kinda got smoked. They never got off the bus. That kind of thing. It's a little bit different, but in these games where they have a chance they don't wilt. And they made Tampa wilt in that third period tonight. They had so much energy in that third period. Like I said, 10 unblocked scoring chances for the Islanders. They only conceded four. In the whole 20 minutes of the third period, they only conceded four unblocked scoring chances. Now, that is some fucking defense, if I've ever heard some. That is some absolutely great defense. And, yes, I do bemoan shot blocking as a quality stat because it usually means the other team doesn't have the puck but it's a little bit different in the playoffs because those shot blocking opportunities are a way of stifling offense for creative teams in the regular season you know you don't want to have like three guys in the top 10 for shots blocked because that means they never have the puck you don't want to never have the puck but in the case of a playoff series and a small sample you need to block some shots and th- the Lightning do it, too. The Lightning, who you view as this very talented, high-end team, you know, $100 million salaries, of worth of salaries, even though there's an $81 million cap. They were... the. Uh, this was as close a game as we've had in a few days in the playoffs. I, I The Vegas-Montreal series has been weird, because, like, the team that deserved to win has only won two of the games so far, so it's been complicated. And in the Islanders-Lightning series... I'd say it's probably about 3-3 to that both teams deserve to win three games. It's just a matter of, you know, which games they played well enough to win and which games they actually won and things of that nature. I'm very impressed. I know I've said this more than once in the 30 minutes or so I've been here recording, but I can't commend the Islanders enough for giving teams that aren't the big market, fancy free agent destination for being competitive. And it's important for hockey that these smaller teams that don't command the big free agents to be competitive because it will incentivize teams to be more aggressive. It'll incentivize them to trade for players and say, once you get here, you are going to love Being here, Look at what they did with Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Pajot got there. They didn't win like any games when Pajot was there in March right before the pandemic pause in 2020. And then he gets there. They go into the bubble. He wins their ping pong tournament. Everyone's seen that video of him walking around in the bathroom with the headband. He signs the multi-year extension. What did he get? He got like five million a year, I think. Something along those lines. Let's see. I have it here in my notebook. John Gabriel Pajot. Yeah. $5 million a year. Pajot got here. He saw what was going on. And he said, I want to be a part of this. That is the key for these smaller teams that aren't going to be able to tantalize free agents on July 1st most years. The way the Islanders made a valiant push to try and get Artemi Panarin. They offered the most money, and Panarin chose the Rangers over them. And Thank God he did, because if Panarin was an Islander, they probably would have won the Stanley Cup last year. That's how good Panarin was for the 2019-2020 Hell, if Panarin's an Islander right now, they might have already won this series. That's how much of an impact Panarin is. I mean, could you imagine Panarin and Barzal on the same line, the zone entries, the plays they could make in the offensive zone for each other, because the defense would have to respect both of them? Now that would be chaotic. I will say, we have two days off before Game 7 in the Tampa Bay Islander Series. They're getting a day off to travel, so they're going to have an extra day, which is nice. I want both teams fully rested. We don't know the status of Nikita Kucherov. I was watching the post-game stuff on NBC. John Cooper said he has no update on Kucherov. Ross Colton did leave the game for a little bit after Matt Martin checked him into the board, shoulder first. Colton did return to the game you don't know how healthy he is pretty big hit Matt Martin has injured more than one player in my life throwing a check a little bit after the puck was already gone I want to say the one that's in my memory is when he dislocated Freddie Clayson's shoulder two years ago maybe when Freddie Clayson was a ranger he threw a check well after the puck was already gone it was an unnecessary hit it was just throwing a hit to throw a hit and dislocated his shoulder and that was it didn't see Clayson again for like two months which kind of sucked because Clayson would have been a nice replacement level defenseman to have sitting around to throw in the lineup as opposed to a Mark Stahl two years ago. God, I gotta get some of the Rangers' memories out of my brain. Some of the fucking teams I paid real legal U.S. currency to go see in person to see them get fucking smoked. But you want both teams to be at full health. You want the best both of these teams have to offer because When they are both right, you get an incredible hockey game like you did Wednesday night at Nassau Coliseum. The way I'll say, so I went and looked. I went to the four publicly available expected goal models that I have access to. I don't have top-down hockeys, but natural stat trick, expected goals at 5-on-5, 1.43 to 1.43, money puck. 1.15 Islanders, 1.36 Tampa Bay. HockeyViz.com, 1.7, 1.7. Evolving Wild, 1.22 Islanders, 1.58 Lightning. Very close game is what I'm trying to tell you in the expectacles. But it went to overtime. Sometimes you get these games that go to overtime where a goalie has like 49 saves and plays out of his goddamn mind's. Like, you know, a goal and a half saved above expected in 60 minutes of play with something crazy like that. But this was just two pretty evenly matched teams. It's just the Islanders were able to persevere down in a hole, survive long enough to keep it close. And then once they got it close, they saw their moment and they pounced. Textbook third period. To only give up four unblocked scoring chances in 20 minutes at 5-on-5 is impressive as all hell. Now, looking ahead towards Game 7, the Islanders have got, got, got to figure out their power play. And I know... Anders Lee being out is really one of the main culprits of this, even though their power play was kind of rough last year in the postseason when Lee was healthy, but Lee's body is there to block. Like, if you watch the Rangers, you know, Chris Kreider parks his ass in front of the net. If you watch the Bruins, you know, Marchand is usually there in front of the net annoying the goaltender. Some guys are just really good at that deflecting the puck, sticking their stick out, and it finding it on shots from the point, and... The Islanders just, they pissed away two minutes of the game. And, you know, they got one good scoring chance in two minutes. It took them a minute and 30 seconds to gain control of the puck in the offensive zone. You don't want to see that. You want to see dangerous scoring chances. And I know the Islanders under Trots have not had a great power play. The problem for the Islanders, they don't get the defense moving. And when I say that, I want you to think of it like this. When you're on the penalty kill, you have four guys out there defending five players worth of space. So, you typically can defend it in a few different ways. You can do a box, you can do a diamond. Whatever configuration you want to do, What it, it, the configuration isn't the point. When you are on the power play, you need to get the defense to break its structure. So, you have five guys. When you get the defense to break its structure... Typically, that means you've gotten at least one, if not two of the four penalty killers to pressure the puck carrier. When that happens, you get a numbers advantage somewhere else on the ice. If one guy is leaving the structure to pressure the puck carrier, that means there's four guys you can pass to who have three guys defending them. If two guys on the penalty kill pressure the puck carrier because it's along the boards or almost out of the zone at the point... That means you've got four guys you could get the puck to being defended by two guys. That is why it's important for you to move the puck around because you need to get guys moving. If you're just passing the puck, you're not going to be able to create any quality scoring chances because the defense gets to stay in its structure. They can go down to one knee. Block the shot, it'll go out of the zone. You got to burn 20 seconds of your penalty, your power play, regaining the zone, resetting, changing lines, all the stuff you don't want to be doing on your power play. You need to think about hockey, especially on the power play, as a math problem. You want to have more guys to pass it to than they have to defend them. It's why you see these guys getting the puck in one time situations. Driving the puck home with no one in front of them because two guys went to the person who had the puck before it got to the one-timer When Stamkos, when Ovechkin, when they're ripping their one-timer from the circle They're doing it because they have room in front of them to get to all of their body weight into their shot and go down to one knee when they release And that happens because the penalty kill has broken their structure. That's what the Islanders need to focus on Yes, I understand Ryan Pulak has a great shot, an absolutely incredible shot. I know Jeff Merrick talked about it on on 31 Thoughts, I believe, last week, maybe two weeks ago, where when he was in junior hockey and he was one of the veteran players on his junior hockey team, he would go into rookie training camp for to help out with the 15- and 16-year-olds. So, like, you know, they they get to know someone on the team. He gets a little bit of extra work on the ice end during the off season. Pulak was not allowed to take slap shots. That's how hard his slap shot was because they didn't want him hurting any of the kids who were there for rookie camp. I understand Pulak has an incredible, incredible slap shot. It's a low percentage play. Defenseman slap shots get blocked and go the other way. You only take that if you have room. If there's anyone even remotely in the possibility of getting into the shooting lane, just pass keep passing or skate. Ideally, you want to skate. You want to keep moving. You want your power play to be going in either a clockwise or counterclockwise. It doesn't matter which way, but you want to get it moving in terms of the skaters. So if a forward ends up at the point, they have to be comfortable backskating if the puck goes the other direction, but you want to keep moving to put pressure on the defense, and the Islanders haven't done that they have not done that they I think they have one power play goal in this entire series against Tampa Bay and something in like 13 attempts just unacceptable for to be this far along in the playoffs and not have figured out something on the power play as good as the islanders are it is a real deficiency in their game 7 saturday night Eastern Conference final, trip to the Stanley Cup final, rematch of the year before, which ended in a game six of overtime. Now we're a game six in overtime again, but this time the other team won to force a game seven. And now we get to see these two teams that have circled each other for six months, go at it again with all the chips on the line. Winner take all going with maybe... The Montreal Canadiens may the worst team to make the cup final this decade, last 10, 15 years, waiting for you. If you can beat this team on Saturday, God, man, these playoffs, these hockey playoffs have been absolutely insane. That was a little bit longer than the last few episodes I've done. A little bit more to talk about because this was such a a good hockey game, man. I could talk about this game for another hour and a half. There were so many little things I noticed over the course of the game. But I do want to get to sleep at some point. It is pretty late. It's already 2 a.m. as I'm recording this. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We will be back tomorrow, Friday, to discuss... Whether or not the Vegas Golden Knights are frauds. I hope you learned something today. I will see you guys then. Have a good one.